Greg, Alex, I assume both of you caught the Republican presidential debate last night, um, stayed awake through the whole thing. Uh, it was pretty rowdy. I, I, and I had to fight to stay awake because, as you know, I have an 18-month-old. So uh, I, I wake up early and I tend not to stay up. But how could you not stay up? Well, there were moments there where I thought, had... I thought your 18-month-old would have fit right in. <laughs> well, I think she does at least know how to raise her hand correctly when you're asking her to raise her hand for something. And we should say who we are, I think. Well, but maybe not. Uh, yes, Greg. Introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Greg Sargent. I'm a com columnist at the Washington Post. Uh, Alex? Oh, yes. I write a humor column for the Post, and I'm actually here in, in Wisconsin, where it is really bananas hot right now. Just absolutely as hot as it could be. Temperature hot and politically hot, because that was the Milwaukee was the scene. Uh, by the way, I'm Chuck Lane. I'm an editorial writer and columnist, and I'm going to try and steer this little discussion. Uh, you know, last night, there was a group of conservative Post columnists who talked about what they took away from the debate. So I'm curious to hear from you guys who are not necessarily conservatives, not necessarily the target demographic of this debate, how the Democrats or a Democrat would be thinking about things. So, Alex, uh, this was a very uh, wide range of personalities across the spectrum of eight people, everybody from Asa Hutchinson, a 71-year-old former governor, to Vivek Ramaswamy, who's only 38, and I don't really know what his business was, but he's a businessman. Did anything scare you out of this group or delight you? I feel like the thing is when you have a group of people, there's two ways of bonding them. And one way is if they all just sort of vibe together. And another way is if there's one person that everyone sort of instantly dislikes. And I felt like in the absence of you-know-who, uh, whom everyone had come prepared to either cautiously not refer to by name or talk around in some way, or Christie was there, you know, sh having sharpened his harpoon for the past like three years, uh, seeking his vengeance. But so the, in, in his absence, everyone discovered that they did not like Vivek Ramaswamy very much. And so like just person after person would sort of line up to swat at him in what, what made for a sort of alarmingly lively shouting vibe. Yeah. Well, he he wasn't seemingly concerned with being likable uh, in the way he behaved. And of course, he's this 38-year-old upstart. And you could see that people like Mike Pence, who's a veteran and, and of politics, and Chris Christie, a two-term governor, like were just dripping with contempt for this guy. But of course, contempt leavened by their frustration at the fact that he's polling pretty well, right. which is how he got on the stage. Can I just throw something out about Vivek for a sec? Um, sure. You know, I think he, uh, he if the contempt that you uh, were talking about there that was directed at him, it was very similar to the contempt that was directed at Trump um, yes. in 2016, which I think is very interesting. And my strong sense is that that he is very conscious of this. You know, we've talked a lot about how unlikable he was, but to what I saw him doing was really kind of vying for the showman slot. Totally. Yeah, well, there's you know one thing I mean? we know about this group of people is that if they bind together, they certainly can stop a candidate that they dislike. Like, there's one thing this group of people is really <laughs> yes. efficient at. It's stopping, uh, you know, upstarts with no political experience from taking the nomination. So that this bodes right. really in, well, in I fact, think. You know, it's interesting you say that because this this really goes to another way in which he really kind of occupied the Trump slash showman slot, which is 
getting hit by contempt from establishment figures was, you know, a big thing for Trump during 2016, and he milked it for all it was worth. Now, I don't know if this guy will be able to do that as skillfully, but he's already in that place. And it took him, what, like basically less than a minute to get there. Well, I, I couldn't agree with you more, Greg. I think there's you know, whatever else can be said about Vivek Ramaswamy. He has intuited that this this businessman who has a lot of money and comes out of nowhere and says things that seem outrageous to uh, people who are kind of like, you know, high minded political experts that worked once for somebody in 2016. And the audacity he has to think it can work for him this year is kind of impressive. Um, but after taking in this, the whole performance collectively last night, do you think, was there anything about it for either of you or both of you that changed your sense of Biden's reelection prospects? I, I'm just going to stick to the, the thought that DeSantis still remains the number two guy. Um, and, you know, I think that they're going to be able to figure out how to coach him past the, the, the difficulties he has with the unscripted moments. They had clearly prepared him very well for some of the big moments. And he knew how to use his, the phrases that have worked to great effect for him in the past. I still think he's very much in the mix for the nomination. And I think he could be a pretty formidable general election candidate, I have to say. Alex? I don't know. I, I think the, the trouble with Ron DeSantis is that he is very personally awkward in a way that would be funny, if except that he he was forced to spend the past four years building his brand by making the lives of people in Florida worse. And so it's sort of like, in absence of personality, I will enact a series of policies and write a horribly creepy book promising to do it for the rest of the country. I'm still mad about his book, which I, the courage to be free, never once does he use the verb to be when another verb would suffice. So like he, at one point, he's like, these people represented the salt of the earth. It's like, just say they were the salt of the earth. They can just be the salt <laughs> of the earth. Anyway, so, and he did, every so often you'd see a flash of that come out. But I think his advantage was he, because everybody was so busy yelling at someone else, he just didn't volunteer. And if there were a situation where he'd actually have to be talking and responding and was the person getting uh, called on, I think he'd have more difficulty. So I don't know. I, I reserve the right to continue to view him as too awkward for... Uh, well, my two cents is that I, I had my eye on the South Carolinians up there, Nikki Haley and Tim Scott. And with respect to Tim Scott, there's been a lot of talk about him being the alternative to DeSantis if he if DeSantis completely flames out. And honestly, I didn't think Tim Scott distinguished himself too much. I don't think he hurt yeah, himself, but right. I just don't think he broke through. Nikki Haley, on the other hand, I thought had some really good moments. Yeah. Um, she she effectively scolded Vivek Ramaswamy about foreign policy, number one. And she offered what I thought was, you know, from a pro-life perspective, a pretty thoughtful, politically realistic outlook about what could be accomplished on the federal level. You know, sort of instructing these people like we don't have 60 votes for a federal ban. And she had, and she had that quip about if you want to something said, ask a man. If you want something done, ask a woman. I thought if anybody, I don't think anybody had like a clear breakthrough moment, but I think she was probably the closest. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. Yeah. I think on the abortion thing, it was interesting because she was the only one saying anything other than, no, I am man. I'm excited to seize control of your body at the earliest possible moment because I've been told to by God, which, you know, so she was like, don't worry. I know every, we're all required. We're 
obligated to say this, but it won't happen because we don't have the Senate. So she was sort of having and eating her cake simultaneously in a way that was fascinating to me, where it's like, well, I, of course, would love to. I, I too, would love to seize this control from you, but it, it's just not feasible in the current political situation, so we should stop. Like, it was a fascinating, like, uh, maneuver to try to be like, don't worry, women I, I don't actually... run from the party in droves. Yeah, I, I think there's another dimension there to to what Nikki Haley was doing. I don't know if it was delivered or not, but it's a message I took away from it, which is um, when she talked with with about uh, consensus on abortion, consensus positions, and and used a lot of conciliatory language. I really wonder whether the kind of subterranean message there to the party was, you know, you've got a suburban women problem, and this is the kind of talk that's going to be able to solve it if we're going to remain a pro-life party and still appeal to that demographic. I'd be curious to know whether you guys think that was part of it. It's an interesting bet on the, the, the makeup of the Republican primary electorate, too, because we've been we've all you know said a million times that after, in the Trump era, what Republicans want is just someone who will you know behead the opposition and carry their heads around on pikes. But she yeah. seems to be uh, she seems to be working from at least some sort of premise that there might be a whole lot of Republican voters out there who want to move past that kind of stuff. Well, she knows that in New Hampshire, the Republican electorate is much less dog doggedly pro-life right. than it is in Iowa. And I think the same is probably true of South Carolina. I mean, I thought the most, uh, I don't know what quite what the word is, sad or poignant or, you know, Greek tragic uh, character on the stage, of course, was Mike Pence, who found himself, you know, alternating between lofty rhetoric about how he had stood up, and I think it's true, for the Constitution on January 6th, and then in the next breath saying, well, the Trump-Pence administration closed the border. You know, he he's sort of in this bizarre situation where his his two stocks in trade are number one that he prevented Donald Trump from destroying the democracy and worked closely with him uh, as vice president. And I just got the feeling that he was uh, he, this was uh, not a, a performance that necessarily uh, advanced his cause too much either. So neither of you guys, as I said at the beginning, is uh, a member of the target demographic for this uh, show last night, which. Uh, we should point out, was an exclusive for Fox News. Um, so you're watching it as somebody, I, I think it's fair to say, who's not going to vote in the Republican primary and wouldn't vote in the Republican primary. So what what draws you to it? Is this, were you kind of hoping to see one of them, you know, flame out in a spectacular fashion? Did you just, you know, do you have a morbid fascination with these uh, uh, right-wing presidential candidates? Were you scouting the talent? Yeah, I sort of watched this, see, because... There is a chance that any of these people could be president next, and I'd like to know what they think they're going to do if that's the case. So part of it is just not, I mean, in a sense that all, anytime you read the news, it's morbid curiosity, but in that sense, it's morbid curiosity. And in another sense, it's like, well, what are the debates? What are the things that they think people are going to get fired up about? And in addition, the other, the criminality question. And it was amazing how, like, when they had that hand raising, like, would you support Trump if he's an indicted felon at the time of the election and like half the hands went up and then DeSantis saw that the hands were up and his hand went up <laughs> and then it, it was just the most craven possible way it could have taken place. And then Christie's hand went up, but he said he was just putting his hand up to complain about how the hands had gone up. And then Pence was maybe, it was just truly wild. So 
I, I have to say, guys, and I'm not a fan of the raise your hand thing in debates. I think um, it's uh, it's a little bit of a trap. I, I didn't like it when they did it in Democratic debates. I don't like when they do it in Republican debates. I think it's all like nonverbal communication. So it creates deniability um, about what they really meant by raising their hand. Um, I thought it was um, much more effective when they asked people like yes or no, um, would you have done what Mike Pence did on January 6th? Or uh, I forget if that was exactly they proved it, but phrased it, but that was the sum and substance. And I'm with Greg. I was sort of actually surprised pleasantly by how many of them did forthrightly say, yeah, Mike, Mike did the right thing. I thought that was encouraging. I'm with Greg on though that I mean, Vivek Ramaswamy, who I don't, I have to admit, I don't think he's ever going to be the nominee. I wasn't so worried in that sense. But when Ron DeSantis, who still got a plausible chance to be president, did waffle on that, I, I, I took note. And I thought that was as a, as a comment on sort of like how he thinks you've got to win this thing. Uh, it, was, it was very revealing. Yes, yes, yes. The other thing that I thought was uh, ineffective about DeSantis was he kept coming back to this phrase. He said, America is in decline, you know, and he kept he kept repeating that. Of course, the idea was like, if you elect me, we won't be in decline anymore. We'll start heading up again. But I just think in politics, it's never a good idea to sort of evoke a dismal situation, you know, that that suggests that America is kind of losing it or America is kind of failing. I do think it's an interesting thing because there, there was an exchange between Pence and Ramaswamy where P Pence was like, it's more, it's still morning again in America, which it never wasn't. And America has never been less weak. We just deserve a country that's worthy of our people. And Ramaswamy was saying, no, we're living in an undeclared, unofficial civil, like civil war culturally. And it's like, what a bleak and terrifying vision. But also as a millennial, I'm like, this is the kind of millennial who does run for president as a Republican in 2024. Like somebody who thinks that we are in an undeclared civil war and, uh, wants to have a revolution, a term he kept using. Yes. With, and at the end, he's like, just like Reagan. But I'm like, no, you've said revolution too many times. And I don't think you mean like Reagan. I think you might actually, especially given that the fact that you have all these people wandering around in colonial attire, uh, calling for like a new revolutionary moment outside in the 98 degree weather. I think, you know, you, you're trying to evoke something stronger than just Reagan vibes. And that's very ominous and I don't like it. Yeah, and I think you're talking, you're pointing to an actual, a serious divide in the party, I think. Um, Vivek and to a somewhat lesser degree, DeSantis seem to be really speaking to this kind of flight 93 election slash Claremont Institute, um, you know, worldview that holds that we're in the middle of uh, cultural Armageddon, right? Um, and, you know, think back to Trump and his American carnage speech. That was pretty damn dark. And, and there was a lot of declinism in that. And, and it, I thought that that Pence response that you just referenced it was really one of the most interesting moments in the debate, because this really was a generational divide, I think, in the party and also a, a real ideological divide in the party on display where Pence was trying to talk those guys out of this kind of Flight 93 craziness. And, you know, Vivek really has, I think, stylistically and and in terms of the language, he really knows how to talk to this kind of new right of Bronze Age pervert and all those sorts of types of online, you know, people. And I don't know, that struck me as a really important moment, that that that, that schism there. 
Yeah, it just that, that's the, if that's the future of the party, that's yeah. that's ah to me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I think there I think there was another. I agree with you guys. This apocalyptic vibe that Ramaswamy is throwing off um, is in stark contrast to the people who like seem to think that like this government of ours is going to kind of keep going on with like a Senate and a House and, uh, you know, and, and I, I come back back to Nikki Haley, who says, look, guys, remember, there's this filibuster rule in the Senate, you know, we got to elect Republican senators. And again, this contrast between people who've actually been involved in the system, we we're calling them establishment yeah. people, but, you know, who view what they're doing here is like running for an office where they're actually going to have to like deal with realities. And people, I guess Ramaswamy being the principal one, who who think no, like what we have to do is kind of like overthrow a system. Um, I right. I think frankly that Ramaswamy has his finger on the pulse of more Republicans than uh, the Nikki Haley types do, because of course Trump, who is off talking to Tucker Carlson, is also promising this sort of wholesale, you know. Uh, drain the you know really going to drain the swamp this time when i when i get back in i mean we'll have to see but it, it it there was frankly talking to you guys i'm really starting to even appreciate more that there really was kind of a moment in this the last night was kind of a moment where these guys were arguing over what kind of a political party this is going to be yeah, it, it, there's actually there's there's an interesting overlap between the, the 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 members there up there who are talking about January sixth in a way that was you know treating it as a real affront to constitutionalism and really destructive to democracy on one side. Those guys were aligned with the people, as you said, uh, who who have worked within the system, and and don't really think we need regime change, as Patrick Deneen's book put it. That, that, by the way, that book is sort of the Bible of this stuff, isn't it? Regime change is what they, they all are after, right? Vivek and DeSantis, when they talk about emptying out the swamp and filling up with their own swamp creatures, that's what they really mean, right? Um, that's, the, that's the regime change talk. And, and it's no accident that those guys calling for, for that sort of wholesale revolutionary push are also on the on the side of Trump when it comes to January sixth, or at least aren't willing to be against him. I I feel like just like the debate itself, we're getting sucked into just being like, but let's discuss Ramaswamy and like his ideas and like how alarmed I am. But one of them was the idea that everyone's going to have to take this civics test so we can have fewer voters, <laughs> because I think for like this generation and the Gen Z and folks, they had that one question about. Uh, climate change, which, especially if you were there physically at the event, that felt like a very present question. Uh, and everyone was like, we simply declined to answer this, that, like pretty much across the board. Uh, we we have nothing for Gen Z, except maybe we will try to get fewer of you to vote. Uh, you know, I, I thought it was interesting the way Fox uh, played that question. I mean, part of the meta narrative of this, of course, is how Fox News itself is kind of handling it. And they, I thought about that was a skillful moment for Fox News because they brought out a young Republican, right? Who was asking them like, how are we gonna deal with my generation and its concerns about climate change? He wasn't saying like, how are we gonna solve climate change? But I think they're <laughs> obviously related questions. And um, 
it, the, the equivocations were revealing. I mean, I would say this about Vivek Ramaswamy. I, I don't get this guy myself, but there is a basic principle of political communication, which is it's always better to be unequivocal, right? And he has that down, you know, even when what he's saying, frankly, is either kind of manic or nonsensical, it's unequivocal. He doesn't show any doubt, which, by the way, is another thing that Trump perfected. Yes, good point. And uh, so it'd be interesting to see the polling after this and what the focus groups say about his performance, because there were times where he was just a little too, like, hot, you know, a little too, he was interrupting and barking and, and so on. But I do think the fact that we're talking about him so much shows that I think he was the kind of like the center of the action in the, in the show last night. Let, and I'm using that word show deliberately. Yeah, let me just point out, though, that uh, I think we said Trump was a little too hot and barked a little too much, too, right? Yeah. But, you know, the, yep. the big question or one of the big questions here, and, and this is plagued DeSantis's campaign, is like, is there a market in the Republican electorate, given that they have the option of the real thing, of the real Trump, for somebody who's just like Trump, but hasn't, you know, caused an insurrection on January 6th and doesn't have four indictments. And that's the that's the theory behind Ramaswamy and to a slightly lesser extent DeSantis. Yeah, no, with, with inflation, maybe, you know, you can't afford the real thing anymore. Huh? All right, but I'll <laughs> go back to your basement, Joe Biden, etc. cetera. Uh, I'm sorry. Well, I think we've pretty much covered it. Guys, this has been a great discussion. I think the only thing that would have made it better is if Alex's 18-month daughter, Emma, could talk uh, and we could have had her input because I would really like... What what generation is Emma now? Is that probably Gen Q? Like Alpha or something? I don't know. Whatever's after Z. Yeah. We had a great conversation. I learned a lot. Greg, Alex, thanks a lot. See you later. Well, thanks a lot, Chuck. That was, that was a lot of fun, guys. And, you know... Unfortunately, we'll have probably 25 more opportunities to do it again. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Chuck. 